Fouad. Fouad's got a couple of questions for us. Okay. Yeah, hi, Tom. So, hi, Fouad. Um, I have a couple of questions, and they're all somehow different types of questions because these questions are collected last weeks from different situations. So maybe I just start and go on. Okay? Yeah, just start and we'll see what happens. So when I run through life, I get more and more into moments where I perceive myself and the PMR as something digital, as an avatar I would perceive myself. I feel the data and I start seeing, seeing it as data. So if you are running through this PMR, do you express yourself as a digital avatar? most of the time, or as someone made out of physical stuff? I'd just, you know, if you're just asking how I approach that, um, I don't know that I really make that differentiation so much. I just, I just am, and uh, <laughs> I do what I do, and I don't really think a whole lot about whether, I, whether uh, I'm, uh, you know, digital pixelated or whether I'm physical, I just am. I'm, you know, how I am doesn't really come up so much as just that I am. So I don't see myself one way or the other as physical or as, as uh, I see myself as, as, well, I don't actually even see myself as an avatar most of the time. You know, I mean, we're here to interact with other beings And I just do that. I just interact with them, whoever they are, with whoever I am, and we just interact. And whether that's in a digital space or whether that's in an analog space, um, whether that's avatars or not, really doesn't matter. It's the interaction that matters, not the form that uh, you see it in. So I don't really see it one way or the other. Okay. Um, that's... Um Uh, a question um, based on on the knowledge that you work for NASA. It's a really stupid question, maybe, but um, I just ask it because I, I heard so much stuff regarding this. So the question is, uh, from from your perspective, was an avatar inside this PMR with rockets from NASA on the moon? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, I know there's conspiracy theories about all that was faked and it never really happened and so on. But, you know, and I have multiple reasons. It's not because I know everything and it's not because I was there, you know, hidden in the spaceship when it happened. You know, for me, like everybody else, it's second, third hand, fourth hand information because we got what came over uh, the uh, news networks at the time. But what makes it seem that it was exactly the way it said is that something like a moon landing is something that takes thousands of people to coordinate. There's thousands of people involved in that from the technicians. You know, you see maybe a couple of dozen of them when you're watching the news, but there's really thousands of people who are calculating, planning, you know, feeding this data stream that goes up to the people making decisions of what they do when and, And, and how they do things. And in order for that to have been faked, you would have had to have many, many people in on the, the conspiracy, in on the fake. And, you know, I've been in, in, uh, 
you know, I've had a lot of security clearances in my work when I, when I was working in uh, technical intelligence and other things. And I know how hard it is and how much trouble one has to go to to keep a secret. You know, it's very hard. If you're the only one in the universe that knows something, keeping a secret is easy. If there's two of you that know it, it's it's maybe still not that hard. But if there's like a hundred of you that know it, the the probability of keeping that secret goes to close to zero. It just doesn't, you know. So things that only happen to one or two people, well, who knows what really happened there. If you weren't there, you have to take their word for it. But things that had to be a group process, that had to have hundreds and hundreds of people involved in something, you know, even if it was a fake, it's not like one person went out and faked that. You know, there was going to have to be a team of people, you know, photographers and people making the landscape and people doing this and that. You know, there would have been dozens at least doing that because you had all the, the you know, all the interaction, the guys that were sitting there talking to mission control and all those engineers that were there, you know, uh, keeping track of temperatures and oxygen left and, you know, all the rest of it that's monitored all the time to set all that up. So all those people were somehow in on it and never, you know, anything comes out uh, that uh, lets you know that that was, you know, you don't have any hard evidence about a fake. That's what tells me that it's a real thing. So, no, I wasn't there hidden away in a spaceship, but I know NASA. I know how they work. I know how they argue with each other consistently. <laughs> you know, it's a very collegiate atmosphere in NASA where anybody says anything, there will be at least ten people who will argue it from at least three different sides. That's the kind of thing, that's the kind of place it is. For them to all come together and decide they were going to do this this clever hoax would be impossible. That's a very divisive group, and they're that way on purpose because by questioning everything, they find the problems before they become problems. So it's that's the atmosphere there, and uh, it's not like everybody thinks the same thing and would go along with something. It's just not their environment. It's just the opposite of that. you got a bunch of high tech techies who uh, all know that uh, you know they understand things better than anybody else and they all argue with each other and i just see that as an impossible environment to keep a secret and we had the technology to actually do it so why would anybody come to a conclusion other than that we did it so that's yeah. some of my reasoning you know that has to do with a lot of other things to anything that would take hundreds of people to keep a secret probably didn't happen because hundreds of people keeping a secret just is very hard, almost impossible. You know, we even have a hard time keeping our secrets secret, you know, with, with classification and people having background checks and on and on and on. And a lot of that just leaks out anyway, even when you're trying very hard to keep a secret. Yeah, I, I, I just heard that Elon Musk has now the technology to to do the landing that it requires. And in, in the late 60s, it wasn't possible to do the landing on the moon. That was the most um, difficult thing. That's that's one of the things I heard, but um, I just asked. Yeah, and I'd say that it wasn't impossible because they actually did it. So it wasn't impossible. That technology wasn't that hard. You know, they had, 
you know, Elon Musk can can land things much better than NASA could land things in the 60s. No doubt about that. Um, that's why NASA had to drop their stuff. You know, everything came down and splashed in the ocean because they needed something the size of an ocean, you know, as a target to hit. That was their, you know, they couldn't just drop it someplace uh, right where they wanted to. There's too many variables they couldn't control. But they just landed somewhere on that moon and they could fire a rocket to slow themselves down. And they had the technology by, you know, by having multiple rockets in all the quadrants, all the vectors, that they could fire those rockets more or less to keep the thing balanced until it slowed down and landed. You know, that wasn't outside of our technology then. That was very doable then. You know, even back then, I did physically witness a, a thing. Can I say it? I don't know. It was just a small thing, a little, about this, a little bigger than a basketball, that was able to go in any direction you wanted it. You know, with, with like a, a joystick stick in control and it was done by very small rocket motors. So you can make it go up and down, fast or slow, right or left, you know, whatever. You could control it by rocket motors. And that is pretty old technology. Having a variable burn rocket is not a, is not a thing that, uh, you know, is new. That leads me to another question that, um, I visited Oliver one and a half week ago and I asked the same question to him and to another friend of the Matrix Knowledge Group. Um, I know that this question is somehow fear-based and I already know the answer, but I just want to listen to your answer. So um, I don't know if I wrote it quite good down, but um, so um, I just try to answer uh, do the question by, 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 my, by my head if if love and fear is um, maybe a, um, an energy that could also be sucked out by entities so fear I know it, it's an energy that could be sucked out somehow by entities love I guess it's not so suckable by entities from where they ever could come But how do I know that you're not maybe um, a special agent from CIA or NSA um, came here to, to tell us to evolve towards love, to let the people do their work regarding love and be quiet uh, because of anything um, that happens on Earth and just um, just to give the elite um, the... the, the um, Yeah, the, 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 the power to, to control everything, and you're the one who's going out here and telling us um, evolve towards love and be quiet because there's no reason to be fearful. So how do I know that you're not a special agent doing all the stuff you're doing right. for them? Right. Why? Well, how am I, or how do you know that I'm not a special agent sowing disinformation, right? Sowing... Um, information that's manipulative trying to get you to think away or whatever for my own secret uh, uh, reasons well you'd never know that for sure because you're not me so nobody else is me so knowing what I'm thinking and why I do things you'd have to be me so you can't know that for sure there isn't anything that you know for sure about what anybody's thinking Right, so that's that's just a fact. So there isn't any way to know that to get rid of all the uncertainty. 
But basically, you have to make your own choices as to where you want to go and what you want to do. And you decide how, you know, the choices you make, whether they lead you toward a lower entropy existence or a higher entropy existence. Do they make, do they lead you toward joy or do they lead you to fear and frustration? And if you make those choices such that you evolve positively, that means you evolve toward caring about others. You evolve toward finding joy and happiness and satisfaction as opposed to caring about self and finding fear and beliefs and ego, then that's how I would say you should make your choices, not on whether you believe what I say or not, but how do your choices actually affect you? How do you feel? If you feel happy and positive and you have joy in your life, then you're making good choices. If you feel fearful and anxiety, you feel a lot of anxiety and you feel negative about things, then you're making a lot of poor choices. You see, so that's the way I would look at it. Not you should do something because you believe anything I say or disbelieve anything I say. You do things because how does it work for you? How do you feel? And if it makes you feel negative, then I'd say that isn't good. It isn't a good place to go. If it makes you feel fearful, it's not a good place to go. So fearful things can be generated by fearful people out of the unknown. If there's anything unknown, then somebody can make up a story about it that's scary because it's unknown. Well, what anybody else is thinking in their mind and whatever anybody else's um, motivations are is unknown. So it's easy to make up a story that uh, is negative or fearful about it. Now, you could make up a story that was very positive about it. Oh, you know, that's that's a wonderful thing, but nobody makes up stories that are about, you know, wonderful things about it. That's Things being wonderful aren't as powerful to manipulate masses as things being scary because people have this sense of survival that makes them pay attention to things that are scary, things that are negative, something that could bite you. You pay attention to things that will bite you. The things that just make you feel good, well, that's nice, but, you know, your life depends on avoiding the things that will bite you. So people tend to come up with, fearful people tend to come up with all kinds of fearful things just because they're fearful. And their imaginations run wild about all the horrible things that could happen. You can't suck energy. You can't suck fear. There really is no energy. There is no energy. It's not that we have this energy and it can be sucked out of us. You know, our... Our fear isn't like like a liquid in a tank that can be sucked out. It's not like that. That's a metaphor that, that doesn't really compute. It doesn't make any sense. Our fear is about who we are. It's about the configuration of our being. It's, it's based on all of our choices up to this point. It's not something that can be sucked away from us or given to us. We have to... We have to produce that. Somebody can tell you a scary story, but it doesn't have to make you fearful. If you choose to be fearful, that's your choice. So fear can't be put into you. Fear can't be pulled out of you. Love can't be put into you or pulled out of you. All of those have to be something you create. You have to create that love. You have to create that fear. And it's it's not a, a commodity that is uh, transferable. It's yours.
that you've created from your own experience. So I've heard that thing on the internet where, uh, you know, when you die, if somebody tells you to move toward the light, don't do it. It's a scam, you know. There's some kind of the beings out there in charge want to suck all your positive energy out and going to the light's just the wrong thing. Go to the darkness or stay still or whatever. Just more nonsense. People make up things that are negative because that gets them attention because other people will pay attention to it just because it's negative. Part of our instincts to pay attention to the stuff that could hurt us. And if you want to get, if you, if you want to get attention and want to have people read your stuff, then say something scary. Make up something that might hurt someone and then people will read it. You try to write a story about how you had a really nice day at, you know, with a picnic with your parents. Well, nobody's going to read that because that's not going to help them avoid the horrible things that they know are out there. So I think that's, that's what you've read or that's what you're talking about. So my, you know, asking my opinion, you know, that's all just nonsense. There is nothing that's sucking stuff out of you when they're, you know, the, yes, the, we did land men on the moon and so on. You know, yes, the world is not flat. We can go on and on with these things. I think there's so much nonsense on the internet that my theory is, and this is just Tom Campbell's, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of half-baked idea. And that is that the internet was a really scary place for those people in places of power who were in those places of power because they abused other people. And yes, people in power often abuse other people. That's just because they have low quality of consciousness. They have a lot of fear and a lot of ego and a lot of beliefs. So we live in those sorts of times. This is a nursery school. And the Internet made everybody a reporter. Everybody had a cell phone. Everybody has a camera now. Everybody can record almost everything. You'd almost have to do everything, you know, in a in a place sheltered away from all others, which is impossible. So that made it hard to do things that you wouldn't want anybody to know. You know, to do things in secret gets harder and harder as we get in this digital age. And everything can be published now on the Internet, whereas before you may have had this great footage and this great story about who you caught doing what, but unless you could get one of the major publishers and major, you know, producers to, to air it, it was just your story. You could show it to your friends, but that's as far as you'd get. You'd never get anybody else to look at it because what got published was controlled by a few dozen people, you see, and they were the larger corporations. So along comes an Internet. Suddenly, everybody's a reporter. Everybody has a camera, and they can publish anything on the Internet in front of millions and millions of people. So how do you defend against that if you're somebody who is who likes anonymity? You're somebody who needs secrecy in order to carry out the things that you do. Well, you can't get rid of the Internet. You tried, but it didn't work. You can't control the Internet. You tried, but that didn't work either. The next thing you can do is put so much garbage, so much junk out on the Internet that nobody can tell what's news from what's trash. 
So now there's so much trash on the Internet that people can do anything. Oh, yes, people notice. They take pictures. They write the story. But there's another story that says just the opposite and another story that says something else. And there's so many stories from so many points of view that basically there's no information there anymore because nobody knows what to believe. They believe whatever they feel like believing, except for one thing. If it's negative, a lot of people will believe it. Anything negative will be believed by lots of people because most people are negative. Most people have a lot of fear. So when they see something that's kind of they resonate with, it's something scary. The elite are doing this. The elite are doing that. The aliens are going to, you know, land next week and they want to eat us for lunch and whatever, you know. <laughs> All that stuff is fearful and people will pay attention to that. So if you were one of these people, one of these high rollers that was uh, abusing people, you didn't want that fact to come out, your only weapon would be to fill the Internet with so much scary stuff and so much stuff that uh, was fear-based that you're, the bad news that comes out about you is totally lost and nobody knows what to believe anyway. So my guess is that somewhere out there in the world, there's probably thousands of people who are employed and get a weekly check just to create nonsense, mostly scary nonsense, and stick it out on the Internet. Things that are absurd but scary because that pollutes the Internet to the point that it is no longer that reporter that can point out people's wrongdoing and the fact that people are taking advantage and people are ripping other people off because all they have to do is deny it. And Well, who knows, right? Everybody gets to believe whatever they want to believe on the Internet. The Internet is not a source of information that anybody can trust. So problem solved. So that's what I think. I think things like Flat Earth were created either by a bunch of physics graduate students who were having some fun and, and uh, you know, uh, were very arrogant and thought, let's have some fun with these people that don't know anything about physics. Or... It was just put out there just as another piece of nonsense that would wrap up, what, a million people into useless discussion about nothing. Therefore, they're not paying attention to the things that really do matter. You know, they're worried about what the elites are doing to manipulate us and so on. Just fearful people, um, you know, wallowing around in fear. And they pass it on. They write stuff. And everybody writes stuff to, you know, corroborate and oh yeah i remember last time i died you know i went to the light no i had all my energy sucked out well if you write that ten thousand people will read it the next week because that's interesting so i think that's what's going on that's like i say i don't have anything to you know to i don't have a whole lot of facts to back any of that up this is just tom campbell's uh you know imagination of uh why this internet has so much unbelievable fear-based crap on it. Yeah. It just, it just is uh, amazing that human, humanity could create that much useless jabber on the internet if it wasn't orchestrated and if it wasn't sourced somewhere. I don't think we could come up with that much nonsense on our own. I think it has to be uh, fed by, by something else. See, that's my conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> Is that the uh, all the conspiracy theories out there are being fed by uh, you know people who earn money by creating fearful stories just to keep everybody occupied in nonsense 
so that they miss all the stuff that's significant and nobody cares and nobody can tell. And it, uh, it defeats the, the internet in that sense that it's, it's not an information source that you can believe. There's so much information. You believe whatever you're already, whatever your beliefs and your ego and your fears drive you to believe. That's what you'll believe. And no matter what your fear and ego and beliefs are, there's some place on the internet that'll tell you that you're right and that that's a fact. No matter what they are, from one extreme to another, there's going to be some some site out there that supports your viewpoint because that's how they get attention is by supporting people's viewpoints. So if I have the opportunity to ask some more questions, Donna? Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. That leads me perfectly to the next question because um, after I met Oliver last week, I met a girl an old girlfriend of mine that I only meet uh, not uh, so often, some some years after some years we meet. And five years ago, I think I told her about you and she was not really interested, but she listened to it. And this evening, Friday last week, I met her and I was so impressed of the talk with Oliver and um, and I wanted to go on talking to her about MBT. And she said, uh, oh, please stop talking about that. That's a cult. That's a sect um, you're talking about. And, and yeah, I, I said on that evening, okay, so better stop talking about that. Let's talk about other stuff. And we had a dinner and we talked about other stuff. So later I, I went home and I wrote a, a long WhatsApp message, really as loveful as I can write it, that I'm having the problem that if, if we interact together, MBT is a big, big part of me. And if I have to let it out of our conversation, so I have to let out a big part of myself. And that's really a problem for me. And, um, and then I know that she's really scientific person. She, she had a good study in science. She was one of the best always. She's a smart, smart, really smart girl as far as I can um, tell. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I sent her the video and I asked her if she may, maybe has one or two hours just to watch the video from you and Jim Elvich that Oliver has done uh, last December because there's that's a good uh, scientific explanation of um, how virtual or why this um, mm -hmm. physical matter reality is virtual. And she um, she wrote me back that she needs some time because of that message. And then she wrote me back and that um, she started watching this video and she said, or she wrote me, are you serious with that stuff? That's the deepest deepest side of the internet that I ever saw. That's conspiracy theory. And if you need any help to get out of that stuff, I can help you because you're my friend. <laughs> yeah. So okay. uh, I'm, I'm really... Uh, so my, my, my choice is now to say, okay, I leave it out or to find out why she's so, um, uh, so blocked regarding that knowledge. Maybe there's some fear in, inside uh, yeah. her past. I don't know what to, how to act. Yeah. Well, if you, um, you know, if you are, uh, just going to be friends and enjoy chatting with each other and enjoy seeing each other off and on, then I would say just leave that out of the conversation, you know, so, uh, because that's very off-putting to her. Just leave that out. But if it's somebody that you would hope to get into a real serious, deep 
uh, relationship with, then that's probably not going to happen. You know, that is, and the reason I say that is because there's a very high probability the reason she feels that way is because of her beliefs. And you say she's a very bright girl and has a scientific background. There's a lot of, of uh, scientists who would agree with her. And the reason they would agree with her is because they believe very strongly in materialism and determinism. And they believe it so much that if anybody says anything that is not in consonance with that belief of materialism and determinism, then they see that as just, you know, foolish nonsense. That's how dedicated they are to their belief. And many scientists fall into that category. That's what they're taught. That's what they're brought up. That's what their textbooks have said. That's what our culture believes. So they pick that belief up, and they can't see anything outside of their belief as being anything other than cultish or stupid. That's how deep they are. Now, anytime you you are around people with very deep and very strong convictions about their beliefs, trying to argue with them about their belief is usually just counterproductive. You can't argue with a believer. Belief is not rational. Belief is irrational. And arguing with a believer, whether it's, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist guy who knocks on your door and wants to explain to you how the end is near and you need to, you know, join their organization, having an argument with them is futile. That's their belief. And all it does is it ends up putting more gasoline on that fire. It makes everything worse. Better just to avoid it. And the probability that you're going to convince her otherwise is probably pretty low. Probability when that guy knocks on my door and tells me the end is near, the probability that I'm going to say something to him that makes him say, oh, I see your point. I guess I've been wrong all along. You know, that's just not likely to happen. That's like one in a million, you know. People who are, you know, believers, they're very firm in that belief. And no matter what facts you trot out in front of them, they'll just deny them. So that doesn't mean that she's not a really smart girl and isn't very good at what she does. There's a lot of very smart people who have beliefs that are very strong. A belief is something that blinds you. In the books, I talk about, you know, belief blindness. and Belief traps, and that's what belief is. It's a trap, and once you're trapped inside, you know, anything outside doesn't exist. So I'm not surprised that you run into people, particularly people who are into, you know, science, traditional science. Um, they feel, they'll feel like that. Now, if you just talk to quantum theorists and not other kinds of scientists, you'll probably find a pretty large percent of those, you know, 30, 40 percent, they'll say, yeah, virtual reality is a good thing. That makes sense. But that's quantum theorists. If you talk to people who aren't quantum theorists, they probably don't have that opinion because they really don't know that much about quantum theory. They just, they're still stuck in Newton's time. You know, Newton said it was a material, you know, big clockwork, big machine, deterministic machine. And we haven't gotten our minds out of that since. Because we haven't had a logical explanation until recently when virtual reality actually became a, 
a concept. That's very recent history. Things, big paradigms don't change that quickly. It takes them a while. It takes them a while to change. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's just the way it is. So if it's just somebody you want to have fun with, then just leave it alone. Don't go there. If it's somebody you really want to have a, you know, a, a deep relationship with, then I'd say it's probably not a good bet that you're going to change your mind. Anything you say to convince her that she's wrong will just make you look stupid. Make you look, you know, like you're lost. Because anybody that disagrees with her, by definition, must be stupid or lost. And there isn't any room for getting around that. So that's kind of, that's sort of the way that is. But that's changing. Like I say, the, the quantum scientists now, uh, particularly those that are at the top of their game, go to the quantum scientists, you know, that are at, uh, you know, that are at the uh, CERN. Go to the ones at MIT and Caltech and the, you know, the people at the top of the game, not, not the people that are down on the bottom of that game someplace, but the people that are at the top of the game. And you'll find the higher percentage of people who think that this being a virtual reality is the way it is, that that's the right answer. It's, uh, you know, but the average person isn't that aware of, you know, what the quantum physicists at MIT think about reality. They, um, they're not, they're not aware of that. And no, all the quantum physicists at MIT probably don't think, all of them don't, but a pretty good percentage is, and that percentage is growing. It went from zero, you know, a decade ago, to a pretty, you know, maybe 25, 30% now. And in another decade, that'll be up probably over 50% because it works. It's better science. And we're just, we'll just have to wait. Eventually, it'll come around that that'll be uh, accepted. I'm sure when the idea that the earth was round and not flat, there was a whole lot of people thought that was a cult. <laughs> people think it's a cult now. Yeah. <laughs> the people who believe it's flat think that the people who, who say it's round are just trying to trick them. Uh, and you can't talk to them out of that, that belief. It was probably like that, uh, you know, 500 years ago too. Anything that, that, that's outside of your beliefs, you tend to deny as being true. Whether you're a smart person or not, 